opinion. He wrote it by the Holy Spirit. This is what God wanted to say, not only to the church in Colossae, but to you. We pay attention because um, while if I wrote a letter to this church, it may be limited. It may just be that they got something out of it, but nobody else could. When God writes a letter, it's bigger than that. And uh, he says in, in the first three chapters of Revelation, he writes seven letters to seven churches. In every letter, he says, let him who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Let him who has ears to hear, hear not just what the Spirit is saying to your church, but what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So that's why we can read this letter and not feel like voyeurs, not feel like we're peeking in on somebody else's life, but realize this is for us as well. Praise God. Natalie, you're here. I could have let you talk about it for more. I didn't even see you. But anyways, back to this. Colossians chapter 2 is where we left off. We actually read to the end of chapter 2, but I want to go back to a part that I promised we would go back to because, you know, in those last few verses in chapter 2, they're so packed with so many good things, you can't, you can't really unwrap them all in one service. And uh, if you try, you just end up being confusing. And so um, I promised you we'd go back and just dwell on, there's, there's one verse I'd really like to spend some time on. And, um, and just to sum up, if you haven't been at the previous meetings, the previous services where we've talked about this, this letter was written in a time to a church that wasn't that big, to a city that wasn't that big. There were bigger cities in the area. Uh, this church got a letter, partly because there was probably another letter already going to this city, and he said, since you're going there, send this one too. But also because this church had some issues that had crept in to uh, steal away from the focus of Jesus, to steal away from the gospel. Two of those issues were um, Gnosticism, which was an exaltation of wisdom and knowledge, but not God's wisdom and knowledge. It was the idea that there was a secret wisdom. And when you get into the club, you know things other people don't know. And if you don't know that, you're not part of the club. And if you're not part of the club, you're not as holy as we are. That was the idea. And, you know, the Bible says, we read it last week, that these guys, it says, they were, they were um, really delighting in the worship of angels. They were delighting in self-abasement, thinking they were holier because they put themselves down. They were taking a stand on visions they had seen. You know, God gives visions, doesn't he? But, but, you know, those visions will always confirm and line up with his word. These people were manipulating by those visions. These people were saying, well, I saw a vision, and that trumps everything else. And they were really trying to control the church by their visions. And I like what the scripture says, for instance, in the Amplified. I don't remember what the exact word was, but the basic gist of it was taking a stand on visions they had supposedly seen or uh, they say they've seen. Uh, because, you know, anybody can say they saw something. Uh, but, you know, the fruit will bear it out. Uh, the Spirit can confirm it. And if He can speak to one person, He can speak to somebody else. And, and it will back, it'll be backed up by the Word of God. You can guarantee that it's the living Word of God. And, and I know that if somebody were to say that, I was talking to somebody on the phone today, not from town, don't worry. But I was talking to somebody on the phone today It was talking about somebody in another country um, who was going through some things and... Um, uh, had, had a couple people in, her, in their life that were really trying to manipulate them, and they were using spiritual things to try to manipulate them. And it wasn't from God. It was, it was a real fleshly thing, but they were using spiritual lingo to try to, to really get them to do what they wanted to do. You know, because if you tell somebody, here's what I want you to do, they can say no. But if you say, well, God, God gave me a great vision that said that you have to do this for me, then what are you supposed to say to it? 
So I said to this person, because these people made themselves out to be very spiritual, but there was no real fruit in their life that proved that. And you know, the Bible tells us the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness, kindness, goodness, self-control. All of these things are the real fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, you know, the gifts of the Spirit are important, they're powerful. I want them here, I want them in your house, I want them taking place regularly. But I'm not going to take advice, spiritual advice from somebody that's got no fruit of the Spirit in their life just because they say they're spiritual. That doesn't prove anything. You have the Holy Spirit working in your life, transforming you, changing you. You will have more love. You'll have more joy. You'll have more peace. You'll have more patience. You'll have more self-control. Self-control is a big one, guys. If someone can't control themselves, how can they control their mouth? And so these are all things that you have to realize. Uh, there will be people that try to manipulate you. Not everybody that comes into a church door is a nice person. Thank God everybody's welcome. Come on in. But uh, don't be deceived. You're not kids anymore. You know that, that uh, there's going to be some people that, that try to manipulate and control you. And thank God, you know what? You are who you are in Christ. And, and you've got the Holy Spirit in you, which is the spirit of truth. And you know the shepherd's voice, a stranger's voice you won't follow. So don't sit at home being worried about, whoa, what if I, be, what if I am led astray? What if I'm, don't worry about it. Get to know the shepherd's voice and a stranger's voice you won't follow. The other group that was working its way into the church was the Judaizers who were trying to convince people uh, that, yeah, you can be a believer, but what you need to, to really be a good believer is to go back and celebrate the, the proper feasts and eat the, good, the right food and do the proper rituals and basically try to take them back to an Old Testament lifestyle. He says, you know, you've been circumcised with a circumcision that's of the heart and there's something that's taken place in you you don't have to go back to that stuff. He said all of those things were forms and shadows, but the substance belongs to Christ. He said all of those things were shadows of things to come, but now we have the real thing, the substance, which is Christ. So that gives you a little background. What he says these two groups do, what they have in common, we're going to read again. And, and for those of you who heard it last week, this will be familiar. He says in verse 18, well, let, let's read the whole thing from verse 16. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or to new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head. We all know what holding fast is. That's holding really tight. Fast isn't, in this case, is we're not talking about speed. We're not talking about fast or slow. Holding fast means holding on as tight as you can to the head. Can someone tell me who the head is? It's Jesus, right? Jesus is the head of the church. A lot of issues get sorted out when you look back at the head. A lot of issues. There are, there are doctrinal issues that, that have been argued out over and over that would, would be solved a lot easier if we just looked at what Jesus did. Jesus showed us what God was like. People debate, what is God like? What, what's God's will? How does God act? What's his character? The Bible says no one has seen God, but Jesus has explained him to us. The Bible says that Jesus was the image of the invisible God, the express image, the exact image, the representation of what God was like. It said all the fullness of God 
dwelled in bodily form in Jesus Christ. So if you have a question about what God is like, would he do that to this person? Would he speak this way to that person? Then simply look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look how he carried himself. Look what he did while he was on the earth. And you see what God looked like. I've said this before. Um, we've talked about well, why did God, why did Jesus come and heal the sick? Why did he raise the dead? And some people will say, well, he did all of those things to prove that he was the son of God, he, to prove he had the power. But if all he had to do was prove he had power, he could have put on a light show. He could have killed people. He could have called down fire on it. In fact, his disciples said, please call down fire. He could have done that. That would have proved some things. It would have proved he had power. It would have proved some big things. But what proved he was the Messiah, what proved he was the Son of God, was not just that he had power, but that he had the character of God. There was a reason he healed the sick. It's because that was the heart of God. There's a reason that he cast out evil spirits. Because that was the heart of God. Because his mission is described in Luke 4, which came from Isaiah. That the Spirit of the Lord has, is upon me, has anointed me. And he lays out his mission on this planet. About healing the sick, about casting out evil spirits. About recovery of sight to the blind. About setting free those who are oppressed by the devil. About proclaiming the favorable year of the Lord. This is what God wants. This is what I'm here to do. There's a lot of issues that get fixed when we look back at the head. There's a lot of issues that come up when we take our eyes off Jesus. You know, there's the Holy Spirit inside of you is a spirit of discernment. And there's a time when you discern what's right, what's wrong, what's excellent, what's not excellent, what's of God and what's not of God. But you know, there's some basic tests you can do. If something that someone says is of God takes the focus way off of Jesus, there's a problem. If it glorifies Jesus... Something's up. Now, you do have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Don't judge this all with your mind, right? Because we're spiritual people. The Bible says a spiritual man appraises all things. He doesn't appraise all things with his brain because the, in that same chapter he says, everything that God sees as wise looks foolish unless you're thinking spiritually. But it says a spiritual man is able to look at things and know if they're good or bad, know if they're right or wrong, know if they're from God or not from God. You don't do that by your brain. You do that by your spirit. But let's, let's judge things by the fact of, is this lifting Jesus up? Is this taking people pretty far away from Jesus? Is this taking their attention onto people? Is this putting their attention back on Jesus? Those are some simple tests. And he says the problem with these guys is that they're not holding on real tight to the head. He says they're not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. So here's, let me break that down. It says all of us grow from Jesus. All of us are attached to Jesus, and all of us grow from Jesus. But notice what else it says. Here's what I like. Look what else it says here. It says that we, being different body parts, right? We're all different body parts in the body. How do we know that? Well, there's, there's a few places in Scripture that say we're parts of a body. This is the body of Christ, and we have a part. In fact, in, in 1 Corinthians, he says, some of you are eyes, and, and you can't say I have no need of an ear. Some of you are noses. You can't say I have no need of this. We're all different parts. Now, don't take it so literally that you say, God, am I a nose? God, am I a liver? God, am I? I mean, you know, he's not going to give you a, a human body part. It's a metaphor. But you are a part of his body. 
you've got an important part to play in that body. All of our growth is going to come from Jesus. But watch. Even though Jesus is the head, it says here that we are supplied and held together by joints and ligaments. It says being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Nobody in this room is a joint or a ligament. You are a part of the body, but you're not a joint. A joint is when two parts come together. So if you think you're an army of one, you're in the wrong army. If you think you're strong enough on your own, you don't know what strong really is. He says here, we are supplied and held together by joints and ligaments. Those joints and ligaments are fully a wonderful part of the body where God dwells, where the Holy Spirit is, when two believers, when three believers, when five believers, when 50 believers come together and are all working in their places and the Holy Spirit is the thing that glues them together and they may be from totally different backgrounds. They may never have hung out in the real world. Even I mean, are we in the real world? I don't know. But you were in the world, not of it. They may never have, have ever met each other out there and if they had, they would have liked each other. But once you got born again, the Holy Spirit put you together with some diverse people. Have you noticed that? I mean, God puts you together with people. You're like, how did we ever become friends? How did this ever work out? And, and you know when the Holy Spirit is left out of the conversation, when people grow cold towards God, the Bible, Jesus said they would, their love would grow cold. When you grow cold to God, you also grow cold to each other. And you'll find that there are groups... That, that once you, if you let the Holy Spirit out of the equation, if you really have been meeting together, but, you, but there's no life in it, there's no spirit in it, then what happens is you end up hanging around with people. They may also be Christians, but you end up spending all your time with people that are exactly like you anyways. They like the same music. They like the same, uh, they like the same style of literature. Maybe they don't read it all. They like the same clothes. They like they're the same age. They're from the same background. You'll find that those are the people you like to hang out with until you get totally set on fire, until you get filled with the Spirit, and then you'll find your friends are pretty diverse. They come from all different backgrounds. They're different ages. They're different races. They're different cultures. I mean, you find out that in the body of Christ, there's something that holds us together. We've seen it, you know, I, I remember looking up one time at Loon Lake when I was, first began pastoring there and looking out and going, bet nobody here listens to the same music I listen to. I bet, I mean, you know, I, I love all these people. These are some of my favorite people. I love going to their house. I love eating together. But would we have ever hung out any other way? I mean, God brought us together. And it was, they become your family. It's more than just friends. They become your family. And there's something powerful about a body part that comes together with a body part. And you begin to work together. And you begin, to, and you're holding fast to the head, all the, the good stuff's coming from Jesus. Your focus is on him. Your life comes from him. But here he doesn't just say that you're supplied by Jesus and you're held together by Jesus. Both of those things are true. But Jesus works through the joints and ligaments, which means that God works in those moments when we come together. God works in those relationships. Did you know God lives in those relationships? If you'll let him in, 
you don't want to let them in those relationships, you, you're missing out. If we want the kingdom, I've said this before, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If I want righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit in my relationships, I let the king be king of my relationships. When the king is king, we have a kingdom. And when the kingdom is in my relationships, there's righteousness, there's peace, there's joy. When I let the king be king in my marriage, I get all those things. When I let king be king in my house, when I let him be king at my work, all of these things come together. When we hold fast to the head, and hold on to each other. Because those joints and ligaments are so valuable to the body. I have never seen an Olympic athlete that was just an arm. Have you? Never seen an Olympic athlete that was just a head rolling around. You can't function. Now you can function with one of those parts missing. You can adapt, right? But uh, the best is when you got all of them. Now thank God there's there's people that ha have, have gone without those parts, and they've made something out of it. They've made some prosthetic parts, things like that. They've done well. I'm glad. But let's just let's look at the body as in the church. God has designed us to be whole, to be complete, without spot or blemish. And that means all of us have to be present. All of us have to not just show up, but be a part of a body, be a functioning part. In fact, let's look at the kind of the sister verse to this verse in Ephesians chapter 4. A couple of books before, he says almost the same thing. But there's a couple little nuggets that we can get out of that that we didn't see in Colossians. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, let's start, well, boy, we should start early. Uh, <laughs> let's start verse 1. Let's do that. Can we do that? He said, I, you, you said, well, I thought we were studying Colossians. Well, let's study Ephesians 2. The scripture helps us interpret scripture. It works together. It says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness. Humility and gentleness. With patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Do you see this? He's talking about the calling you've been called to. And then he uses words like humility, gentleness, patience, and tolerance. In other words, words that have to do with other people. Well, I thought this was my ministry, God. I thought this was my call. I thought this was what I was supposed to do. It was never your ministry. It was never your call. It was always his. And he chooses to put you together with people. And so in order to carry out your mission, he uses words like humility, patience, gentleness and tolerance which all have to do with how you react and, and interact with the people around you so you really can't just be doing this on your own I mean some people have had to do things on their own out of necessity like the Apostle Paul when he first got somewhere he didn't have anybody to work with sometimes he traveled with a friend sometimes he didn't but you know he had to build up some some people to go with him and there were times where he had to be more than one thing to more than one person but that wasn't God's best. God's best was once that church got built up, there were other people to help. There were other people to encourage. There were other people to be a part of that whole thing. He didn't want to just do it all by himself. A lot of times the apostle has to pave a way, has to take a machete and, and carve a, a path through the jungle. But you know what? That's not the permanent plan. Aren't you glad we don't live in huts? You glad we don't live like the pioneers? Thank God somebody pioneered, right? 
but you build on what they built. And the best thing is not to live in little, you know, outhouses around just, just in fields all over the place. We actually begin to build up and begin to, to work together and, and build community and build society. You know, there's a time to pioneer, but there's a time to grow. And so an apostle will often pioneer and pave a way where there is no way. That's why you see the Apostle Paul walking in many of the gifts of uh, 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 roles in many of the gifts. He works as an apostle. There were times where he worked as a teacher, as a pastor, as a prophet. He kind of did all, did all those five things that were mentioned in Ephesians 4. But when the church was established in, in Antioch or Jerusalem, you see a guy like Agabus, which I've said before, if you don't have a, a, a son and you're looking for a name, Agabus, write it down. It's good. Call him Aggie. You can call him Bus. You know, whatever. <laughs> If he's a football player, just bus on the back. I mean, you don't want to get in front of the bus. I, this is genius. All right. Anyways, Agabus was a prophet, and you watch. Watch what Paul does. Paul prophesies when he's out there on his own. But when he gets in a church setting, he lets Agabus come and prophesy. Because and Agabus was a proven prophet. He wasn't just some guy off the street who says, I got a gift. He was somebody that had proven trustworthy. He comes in, and Paul submits to what he says and says, okay, I, that's the word from the Lord. Let's move on. So you see that, that God's best was to use multiple people in the church and in the, in the larger body to fill the different roles that there were. So here he says that um, we're, we're meant to have humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance. Boy, when you think about starting a ministry, are those the power words you think of? I mean, those are the big words. But wait till you see me start my ministry. It's going to be a ministry full of tolerance. What? Oh, man, the power of God showed up. There was patience all over the place. Really? But they're huge, and they're important. Humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance for one another in love. Being diligent. And diligence means you've got to work at it. It doesn't just show up. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Work at it. Don't let anything get in the way. Preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body. There's one Spirit. Just as you were also called in the hope of your calling. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Which is really cool. In fact, I'll read it again. He's the Father of us all. He's over us all. He's through us all, and he's in us all. Praise God. So is anybody better than anybody else when we have the same God working through us, the same God in us, the same God over us? You may have different roles. There may be roles of different levels of authority. But in God's eyes, we are all under him. We are all empowered by him. He's in all of us, and he's working through all of us. Thank God. Here it says this, But to each one of us grace was given, According to the measure of Christ's gift. That, that doesn't sound like a, a budget to me. If it was according to the measure of Christ's gift, Christ's gift was pretty big. So thank God there's more than enough grace to do what you're called to do. But to each one of us, we were given grace. And you know, there's another place in the scripture where Paul said, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't attempt to move beyond the sphere that God gave me. I didn't attempt to step into another man's work. I'm not trying to run in somebody else's lane. This you guys are the field that God gave me to work in. This is where God's grace to me was given to minister to you. And he says, 
it, it extends even to you. He says, I'm enlarged by you. As you're enlarged, I'm enlarged. So you have to understand that you want to operate in the grace of God. You want to operate in the power of God. Stay where God puts you. Stay, I mean, be where God puts you. Don't try to be somebody else. Be who he made you to be. That's where the grace of God to do what you're called to do is, is what he's called you to do. Don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to run in someone else's lane. Don't, try, don't look at somebody else and say, oh, man, I wish I had their ministry. No, you don't. Because the only ministry we have is his ministry. And if he's put you somewhere, be there. Do it with passion. Do it without grumbling or complaining. He says this. Okay. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives. That's a lot. And he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And that's really cool. Jesus did all that so that he would fill all things. Isn't that cool thought? Every part of our church, everybody in the church, every program, everything that's going on, that he would fill everything. That it would all be filled by him. That we'd let him into every single area. That there not be an area that we don't allow him to fully take over. He just fills it all. And there should be, we should allow that first. If you want that in your church, if you want that in your city, if you want that in your nation, start with your own heart. You say, God, fill our church. Start with your heart. Make sure he fills every area of your life. Has he filled your job? At least the part you play. Has he filled your family? Has he filled your house? Has he filled your schedule? You want him to fill your church? Start with you. You want God to, you want revival in your church? Rev, let God revive you. Praise God. Because what is a church but people? You're really expecting that the building's going to attract God? Really? The guy uses gold as pavement. It's going to be like, well, you decorated it nice. I guess I'll show up. What time? No, I mean like, do you know why they had revival? They painted. Praise the Lord. Doesn't matter. God really, I, I, I don't think he does flips because we, we have, you know, this color because we have a coffee, because you have a coffee bar, a water cooler. Ah, you know what? That's th all that's cool and all that's good, but that's not going to change the spiritual uh, momentum. What's really going to change is if you let it change here. Let it change us. So here's the cool part. All right. That's all cool. I don't want to say cool too many times. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Now, don't think this is an exhaustive list of all the gifts in the, in the body because if you were to look in 1 Corinthians, you'd see more. If you were to look in, in other places, you'd see others. These five he's naming right now for a reason. They're not the only five, but these five are for this particular verse because he goes on to say, these five are for the equipping of the saints. How many of you here are saints? Should be everybody in the room. If you're not, you get born again. Right. Saints means that you, the, the blood of Jesus has washed you clean, that before him you stand holy and righteous, that you are a saint because of Jesus. So these are believers. So he says, the job of all these guys is not for you to, I mean, you don't have these guys so you have somebody to clap for. You don't have these guys so you have somebody to, to, to give an offering to. These, the goal of these group of, of gifts is to equip you. 
is to equip everybody for the work of service. Another translation says for the work of ministry. It means everybody's called to the ministry. These five are just there to equip you for that ministry. First Corinthians says there's gifts of helps. There's gifts of administration. I mean, so you say, I, I don't think I, I fit in any of those. Well, there's others. And, and it, in fact, I love what it says in 1 Corinthians. It says, God has placed, God has placed each member of the body just as he desired. I love that. He's placed you right where he desired you. It doesn't mean where you are is where you're supposed to be. It means he's got a place for you, and that's where he's desired you to be. It's not what your mom desired for you. It's not what, it's not what your friends desired for you. It's not what you desired. It's what he desired. So when little Moses grows up and begins to say, what am I going to be when I grow up? I'm not going to tell little Moses, you can be whatever you want to be. I'm not going to say what everybody else says. As long as you put your mind to it, you can do whatever you want to do. I'm going to tell him he can be whatever Jesus wants him to be. And you'll do it with power, Moses. You'll do it with strength, and no one will stand before you and tell you you can't do it, Moses, because if Jesus told you you do it, you're going to do it. And I hope he says, yes, Dad. Some of you may not know, I have a couple of yearbooks from my first two years. First two years of school, I was in Loon Lake. And um, kindergarten was interesting because they had the theme of dreaming of the future. That was the theme, right? Oh, dreaming of the future, cool. And so uh, the, the theme of that yearbook, dreaming of the future, so they went to the kindergarten class because we are the youngest and wanted to find out what we're dreaming of being in the future. And it's popular for the boys to say, okay. All the boys were like, well, I guess we're going to be policemen or firemen, right? Deal. Okay, deal. There was some girls, a lot of girls want to be nurses. I mean, it was just very stereotypical. But you're asking kindergarten kids, come on, you're going to get stereotypes, right? So we, we were all just, it doesn't matter what we thought about, we were going to be policemen or firemen. This was just basically split down the middle. So they come to me, and I guess I mumbled. Because I see all my friends in the yearbook. Jamie Waugh, dreaming of being a policeman. Mark Zacharias, dreaming of being a fireman. Jonathan Bounds, is dreaming of being a postman. <laughs> Gosh. I mean, people are like, what's wrong with this kid? What's wrong with his parents? Raising him to just, I mean, that's his. Now i got to be careful. There's nothing wrong with postmen. <laughs> I get myself in trouble. If that's your call, you do it. Power of God. But most of the kids don't think that way, right? Especially not in Loon Lake. Maybe in Lloyd Minster it's an exalted task, but in Loon Lake, not a big deal. So uh, Jonathan Bounds is dreaming of being a postman. Good for you. I think there's some special classes for that. Here, go in this room. This is your class. Well, it, it doesn't matter what I put in the yearbook. What mattered is what God had set aside for me and formed me from the time I was in the womb. He'd formed me for something. You know, the Bible says that you were created in Christ Jesus for good works that he's prepared for you beforehand. He's already prepared these works for you to walk in. If you're obedient, you'll walk in them, and you'll walk in the grace and power of God. 
The important thing is saying, yes, Lord, just like we said a million times during Trading My Sorrows. <laughs> if you have to say it that many times, then say it that many times. The important thing is saying, yes, Lord, and being available. Being obedient, being available, and just being willing to let God use you. It doesn't, doesn't mean you have to be the smartest, the most skilled, the strongest. You just have to be willing and available and, and, and do what he says. So if he's prepared these things, it says... You were created in him, and these things were created for you. So there's two things that were created, you and your task in life. And you were custom made for this. You were custom made for what God created. You were designed. You are the best tool for the job. There may be somebody else. Have you ever used a flathead screw? Have you ever used a slotted screwdriver to, to try to unscrew maybe a Robertson? Robins, is it Robertson or Robinson? Robertson, try to use that to unscrew it. Well, you're gonna, you're, you might get the job done, but you're going to strip the screw. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna do a, a bad job. It'll take you longer, and you may not be able to reuse that screw again. Somebody might be able to do your job. You might be able to do somebody else's job, but you're not really going to discover the joy and satisfaction, the fullness of joy that, re, that lies in doing exactly what God created you to do and, and loving it. You know what? Maybe you say it's not that important of a job. Well, the Bible says that the people who get the jobs that everybody wants, the, the honorable parts, he said they got a little bit of the reward already. But there are people, there are parts of the body that aren't as honorable, that nobody claps for, that nobody writes an article on, and those people, God bestows a great honor on them. A great honor. There is great honor. Now, whose honor do you prefer? You prefer God's, right? Over people's, you prefer God's honor. You want his honor? Do what he called you to do. If that's sweeping steps, sweep the steps. If that's preaching in front of thousands, preach in front of thousands. But don't do it for people clapping. Do it for his honor. Do it for his reward. Because he's the one we really want to please. And thank God we got put in a body. We're getting to a place here where he says... He's equipping the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. I wish we had two more hours and we'd talk about this, but we're supposed to be talking about Colossians, so let's move on. As a result, we are no longer to be children. Can you just realize this? You're not allowed to be children for the rest of your lives. It's cute when a baby you know, a, a baby gets that look on their face and you go, oh, you just spoiled your diaper, didn't you? Oh, that's cute. And we might grimace, we might be sad, but we really don't blame the kid for that. It's cute when they try to walk and they fall down. It's not so cute when they are fully able, no, disability, no physical disabilities, they're just not willing to make that trip to the bathroom. Or they're, not, they're just not willing to eat, put that food fully in their mouth. They're just not willing to walk on their own two feet. That's not cute anymore. So a new believer comes in, they get born again, come, out, they come in that back door, messed up, torn up, their life just all over the place. And Jesus comes and accepts them fully, opens his arms and says, welcome home. And we echo Jesus. We do the same thing, say, welcome home. We love you, we accept you, we're glad you're here. And I say, well, what about all this and what about all that? And we say, you know what, we're just glad you're here. We love you. Step by step, God begins to change them. God begins to work on them. It's not cute. 
If God has been working on you for the same thing for 30 years, maybe it's time to let him change it fully. You know, you got to grow up at some point. Now, I'm not the judge of that. But just for all of us, there are areas in our life where we've been stubborn. Don't be stubborn. Let him change you. Let him transform you and grow up. And here he... Here's the evidence of somebody that grows up. Watch this. Here's an evidence of a child. This is what a child acts like. A child is tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. The latest book, the latest fad, the latest uh, new thing to come along. You just go here to there to here to there. That's the way infants in Christ act. But as believers, we're meant to be steadfast. We're not meant to be grounded. We're always going to be growing, so there'll be new things, thank God. We're always growing, but this is consistency in Christ looks like an upward slope. It doesn't, it doesn't look like a plateau. It's an upward, a steady upward slope. It's not a roller coaster. It's always up and forward into the upward call of Christ Jesus. It says, not to be kids tossed here and there by every wind and wave of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him. Do you see that? We're growing not just because of him, not growing with him, but growing into Christ, growing into the head, growing into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. So that sounds a lot like what we read in Colossians, right? Every, the whole body is fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. That's when two body parts come together. That's where the joint is. And it says we're fitted, we are supplied by that, and we're held together by that. That supplies us. If you're feeling weak and weary and worn, then you need to not only get that strength from the Lord, but you need to get together with some solid believers. You need to team up. You need to realize that you're not meant to do this all by yourself. Those joints are powerful. God is in the joints. God is in the ligaments. And it says here, that those joints hold us together and they, they supply us. It says, but look at this, according to the proper working. I love that. According to the proper working of each individual part. Causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So when everybody does their part, the body grows. When everybody does their part, the body's held together. When everybody does their part, the body is supplied. Thank God. Did you know? You may want to be a mouth. I want to be that guy talking to thousands of people. But that guy talking to thousands of people can't do what he does unless you do your part. If I, well, you know, when, when T and I go away and speak at conferences, you may say, well, they got to go to conferences. You know what? We can't do that without you guys. We can't do that without this part of the body. You know, the mouth is not the most important part of the body. The parts that we give great honor to, the hands, the feet, the mouth, the eyes, you can do without all those. But the parts you don't, and I've said this, you guys have heard me say this before, but there are unattractive parts of the body that are way more valuable. You can't live without a liver. Hates liver. You can't... <laughs> a dad joke. I'm a dad now. I'm practicing dad jokes. You know a dad joke when you groan after. That's a dad joke. You can't live without a liver. You can't live without a heart. 
Can't live without, uh, without lungs. You can have artificial things, but, but really, without something filling that role, you will die. You cut off, I mean, I love my hands. I use my hands all the time. My hands get a lot of credit when I play instruments. My hands might get a lot of credit when, when, when you're, you're writing something or doing something like that. But you know what? I can live without them. I can't live without these organs. Maybe you're a part of the body that's not getting all the praise. Maybe somebody says, man, you were just singing up there. And they say to Naomi, you were singing up there. Man, it sounded so beautiful. Thank God for your liver. It's just working. <laughs> right? They don't, they don't say, man, she's got such a, Kelly has that liver. I mean, she's, Kelly's got those kidneys. Man, the kidneys on that girl. She plays the piano. Oh, <laughs> man, those kidneys have souls. She's, mmm. Right? No. But let's see her play without them. Let's see, let's see Naomi sing without a liver. Let's, let's see Chance play the bass without a heart. It's not the Wizard of Oz here, but, you know, it, it won't work. It won't work. You may say, well, I'm not, I'm not as important as the mouth. I'm not as important as the hands. You are. If God saw you as important enough to put in the body, then you are important. And the body can't grow until the parts start working. It doesn't say that the body grows because certain parts are working hard. It says the body grows because each part is working properly. Did you know a nose trying to hear is not working properly? Did you know feet trying to taste is not working properly? So somebody trying to do what they're not called to do, they're not working properly. Somebody not doing anything, they're not working properly. Somebody trying to do it by themselves, not working properly. I have friends, you know, some of the hardest people to put into churches are people that came straight out of Bible school because they know what a perfect church is supposed to look like and they can't find it. And they're just like, nope, 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 nope. And they find something wrong with everything. I finally said to somebody who was, you know, just not, not joined with any group whatsoever, just by themselves because, uh, you know, and started naming all these problems with different churches. I said, you know, the most imperfect church I've ever seen is a church with one person. You are more imperfect as a church than any of these churches you just named. Just go where God tells you to go. Maybe it's imperfect because it's missing you. Maybe you're so good at seeing the hole because you're supposed to fill that hole. Sometimes the things we see that are missing, the reason we see it and they bug us more than they bug everybody else is because that was the place that you're called to fill. And people leave because that part's not filled. I'm real passionate about this, and this church doesn't have it. Maybe that's why God sent you there. Maybe that's why you're so passionate about it. You work doing, not, and as Paul said, I don't work on my own. It wasn't me working. It was the grace of God working through me. So let's focus on this. The growth, the supply and the being held together doesn't come by certain strong body parts. All the good stuff comes from joints. Comes from ligaments. That means the best moments, the best things that God will do through us are going to be collaboration. They're going to be a part of us working together. The best moments of my life, if I can think of my favorite memories, I might think of the atmosphere around me but you know what? If I were to really think about myself, 
when I was enjoying those things, I was laughing, I was talking with my family, I was looking at the sights, I was smelling the smells, I was tasting the food, I was hearing the music. What a wonderful experience. But every body part was working. And I enjoyed it so much because I got something from all those different parts. Do you know what it's like when you're on vacation and you're enjoying yourself and you're making a memory and you're enjoying yourself and all of a sudden something starts to hurt or something stops working? We've all had those times where something in the body stopped working. You don't enjoy that anymore. An athlete may be running. As he runs, someone say, I've never seen him run so fast. His feet are moving so fast. But those feet will do him no good. They will do him no good if all of a sudden one of his organs stops working or even if another part of his body starts to give him pain. He'll slow down. It'll affect him. You know, the body of Christ, our great moments as a church, and when I say church, I mean the church, the big church, the body, not just this group, but the group at large. Our greatest moments are going to be when everybody's doing their part and we're embracing the fact that God put us with other people and yeah, they're going to bug us. And yeah, they're going to, to do things a little differently than us, but thank God that I've got feet that do things different than my hands. So thank God for people that are different than me. Don't go trying to find friends that are exactly like you. Thank God he gave you friends that aren't like you. Because if you just have a body full of hands, you're a weirdo. But if you, if you really are embracing the fact that we're the body of Christ, you're going to be happy that God puts you with people that are nothing like you. But you know what the common thing is? The Spirit of God's in all of us. And we're all holding on to the head. We're all attached to the head. He's given the orders. We don't do our own thing. We don't try to go our own way and establish our own work and establish our own mission. We all get the same orders from the same head. You know, unity is not just everybody doing the same thing. The Bible talks about unity of the Spirit. The only way we're ever going to have true unity is when we get unified with the Spirit. If we just, I mean, come on, they were unified building the Tower of Babel, but that wasn't God. They were unified when Hitler unified Germany to, to, to take over the world, but that wasn't God. You know, you want to be God. You want to be in unity. Let's not just get the loudest person, the smartest person to come up with an idea and we all go along. Let's find out what God wants and let's all get on the same page and say unity of the Spirit means we're unified in the Spirit and unified with the Spirit. We're getting the orders from the head. The head saying, let's go this way. And the arms do this. And the legs do this. And the heart pumps. And the mouth breathes in air. And the lungs process it. And all of this happens when we work together. Let's embrace the fact that God lives in the joints. God lives in the ligaments. And we are, he lives in the parts as well. But there's a grace in those joints. And you know, if you, there are people you don't get along with. I want you to go to God and say, God, I know you put me with these people. I ask for your grace to work with them, to love them, to be at peace. Remember, he said, you want to you carry out that call? Humility. Don't think you're better than anybody else. Gentleness. How you, how you treat other people is important. You may say, well, this is how I want to be talked to. Not everybody wants to be talked to the same way. 
If it's not about you, if it's about them, find out how they like to be talked to. Patience, tolerance. Big difference. Because you know what? You can, be, you can be as right as rain. You can be doing all the right things. You can be doing it strong and powerful. But if you alienate the other parts of the body, you won't be effective. We're put together for a reason. God lives in the joints. God lives in the ligaments. And we're supplied by those relationships. You may not realize it, but there is a supply of strength. There's a supply of life. There's a supply of energy that comes from the relationships that God gave you in the body. And we're held together by those relationships. So fight for them. Ephesians 4 that we just read says, be diligent to preserve it. Fight to preserve unity. Fight to preserve it. It's worth it.